Just kill me, for fuck's sake. Hello and welcome to the Omcast Grand Rewatch. My name is Dom. As one half of the Omcast, I'm joined by Tom. Say hello, Tom. Hello. So we now live in a world full of sequels, prequels, remakes and reboots, and we understand that sometimes life gets in the way and you're not always going to be able to catch up before a new one comes out. With that in mind, we're here to provide a weekly retrospective on some of the biggest franchises in cinema history, giving you a full spoiler rundown of each film in a series, including plot summaries, analysis and behind-the-scenes trivia. In a special episode before the release of Marvel's Avengers Endgame, we're going to be talking about the existing Avengers trilogy, namely Avengers Assemble, or The Avengers, Avengers Age of Ultron, and Avengers Infinity War. Yes. So, we're in the Endgame now, man. This is it. So we are recording this on a Monday night. Yep. Um, here in the UK, Endgame is released on the 25th which means that we will be watching it, both of us, on a midnight showing on Wednesday. Yes. Um, so we're two sleeps away from the latest in the I series. I can't deal with this, man. I'm not ready. <laughs> like, watching Infinity War today, I'm like, oh, I'm ready. I'm not ready. No. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, there doesn't need to be much of an introduction to this. This is the, no. big, this is the biggest franchise ever. At this point, I mean, it's it may not be the biggest in terms of how long it's been going because you've got things like Bond, yeah, and it may not be the biggest, I guess, in terms of I don't know. Again, it's, well, it's they've the made own, more money than anyone else, yeah, but I think that's that's to do with the fact that they've released so much in such a short period of time, yeah. relatively speaking. Um, because this has been going since 2008 mm. was when they first started, and it's they've been incredibly prolific in that time as well, yeah. so it's. It's justifiably one of the, like you say, one of the biggest franchises in cinema history. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, not to tread on our preamble too much, but at the same time, it is what it is. Like, yeah. love it or hate it. Yeah, and it, and it's changed Hollywood. It's like there are lots of studios now. Everyone's trying to replicate the Marvel method yeah. of movie making. Um, and this whole, this whole idea they've got where they've created essentially a serialised... Mm-hmm. St- form of storytelling in movie form. It's basically they're kind of like the sort of quality TV type things that came out sort of in the nineties and you know things like the X Files where yeah. they're episodic but there is a through line through throughout yeah. them that you can follow and mm-hmm. you are rewarded for going back and following it through. Yeah. So you could in theory watch any one of these movies, mm-hmm. although we'll talk about this later, um on their own and they work as movies. Some better than others. Um but the idea is that if you continue to watch and you watch all of them, then you get more out of it. Yeah. Um, and the, yeah, the, the biggest gamble was when they started. So they start with, with the first Avengers movie. So the Avengers um, came out in 2012. It was directed by Joss Whedon. Yeah. And it was the first time where they attempted to have this major crossover where the existing characters from the previous movies that they'd already set up were all going to get together and form a team. Mm-hmm. Um, and those characters were Captain America... Um, played by Chris Evans, Iron Man, played by Robert Downey Jr., Thor, played by Chris Hemsworth, and Hulk, who was played in his own movie by Ed Norton, but in The Avengers was played by Mark Ruffalo. Yeah, and then there's Black Widow. And then, of course, there's Black Widow, who they'd already previously introduced in Iron Man 2, which had come out before, mm-hmm. and also Hawkeye, who had has a small cameo in Thor. Um, and we've talked about Iron Man, Thor, and Captain America, the first Avenger, yeah. uh, previously, when we were doing our lead-up to Captain Marvel. Um, so you can go back and check those out. But the first big sort of team up was the Avengers mm-hmm. and it's still one of the highest grossing movies ever. Yeah. And justifiably so because the first Avengers is still up there for me as one of my favourites. It's fantastic. Um, going back and watching it again this week, it was, yeah, I, I forgot how much. Yeah. And the thing is we've come so far since then. Like, and in that space of time, in those seven years. Yeah. Since that's come out. We've come on so far. Like characters are significantly different. The technology that's used in the universe is almost unrecognizable. Hmm. The way that the the characters interact with one another is so much. There's so much familiarity in there. Yeah, there's like a familial side to it as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's incredible. The film itself stands on its own completely. Yeah, as we were saying about. But it's this never before done on sort of a filmic scale of using 
multiple characters from different films and introducing me into this one in this sort of format in the modern age. Yeah. Yeah, and it kind <laughs> of set a precedent for the rest of the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is that periodically there is going to be this big crossover film. Yeah, and they, they I think what they did well in the in the first one was that they like you say it had its own plot and it had its own through line, but again there were enough breadcrumbs there for people who had watched the previous movies. Yeah. Namely the MacGuffin of that movie is the Tesseract, mm-hmm. which if you'd watched the previous movies you would have known that that was the main thing in the first Captain America movie. Yeah. So but it doesn't matter if you haven't seen it because they'd sort of explain yeah. what it is. Um, and what, what I like about Tesseract, and this can be said for a lot of the Infinity Stones, because a lot of that, the plot of these movies is around these Infinity Stones, which are act as MacGuffins. Um, but what I like, particularly in the Avengers movie, is that they can make it be whatever they want it to be yeah. for the service of the plot. So it's like it's a doorway to the other end of space, but it's also an unlimited energy source. Yeah, and it's also like it's like it's all these different things, and then the same with like the Scepter, Loki's Scepter. Yeah. It takes his power from the cube until the sequel when it's his own thing. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's the Mind Stone. And had been the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so... <laughs> but yeah, that, and that's what I mean, is the way that it seeded so much from then mm-hmm. and the way that it has linked into separate things as well. So it's this, it's sort of like this diamond chart that links back in, yeah. goes out, Back in goes out, back yeah. in. But yeah, it, it's. But I think the, the thing, what happens as they go on, watching them as a, as a series, as a trilogy, like we have, the diamond gets goes out wider every time. Yeah, and I think particularly the biggest jump is from Age of Ultron into Infinity War, because you look at the roster and the and the difference in the cast of Infinity War compared to the first Avengers movie. Yeah, and it's vast the amount of new people that have turned up. Yeah, like, and the amount of new concepts and things you have to be on board with like the guardians of the galaxy are a huge thing and obviously they've already had their own two movies but if you haven't seen them and you watch infinity war just going to watch the next avengers movie yeah you have no idea what's going on or who they are yeah um and same with doctor strange black panther spider-man um and they get their own sort of they do get like seeded entries mm. so that you will see so somebody that goes into infinity (coughs) war um, let's not jump to Infinity War. If we go back to... Yeah, sorry. Sort of... It's because we just watched it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we've both watched the Infinity War films this week and we've avoided watching the others mm. to sort of, you know, damp down any cross-contamination, should we say. Well, yeah, and just see how, how you know, if you were that of that, you know, we're obviously not that, we're massive nerds and we will go and watch every single Marvel movie on the weekend of release. So we know everything there is to know where the characters have been previously and how all the storylines intersect. But if you weren't like that and you were just watching them on their own, would they work? Um, and like we said, the first one, absolutely it does. It yeah. brings in, it takes its time to introduce each one of the characters. Mm-hmm. It gives each one of them their own scene to be introduced. Um, and each one of them is a really good scene. So, you know, we start off, I think, who's the first one? I think the first one might actually be Bruce Banner. When... In terms of when they go out and do their recruiting. So they, they bring, basically, the beginning of the Avengers, Loki turns up. And again, Loki is the villain from Thor, but you don't yeah. necessarily need to know that. No, but he's, yeah, so he's then introduced. Then you've got Hawkeye. Hawkeye's there. Yeah, that's true. So he's already there. Um, then Black Widow. Then you get Black Widow. Yeah, true. Um, and, then... and then they go out and start and do their recruiting. So I believe they then go from there to she recruits Bruce Banner. Yeah. And this will be the first time we're seeing... Mark Ruffalo in the role of Bruce Banner, because at this point the the story of Bruce Banner through movies and the Hulk through movies is all over the place. There's been yeah three different in the, in the last twenty years there've been three different versions of him. He's a bit like Spider Man, but the difference being none of them ever got off the ground. No, um, so you had, there was the Eric Banner version, uh, which was made in two thousand three with Ang Lee, yeah, as um, the director. As the director. Um, that was didn't go very well. <laughs> No. Um, and then they made one in 2008, so it was part of the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. So the two they, la- they launched with was um, Iron Man, with Robert Downey Jr., and The Incredible Hulk, and that had Ed Norton in it. And they linked in. So at the end of that movie, Robert Downey Jr. turned up, and they also had um, 
William Hurt playing General Ross, who then turns up in subsequent films. He's in yeah. the Avengers movie. But Edward Norton, when it came to do the Avengers, they couldn't negotiate the deal and it all fell through and therefore they had to recast, which kind of broke the whole yeah. thing, which was a shame. Which is a shame, but at the same time, I think... I never rated Ed Norton as no. in that film. I didn't... Uh, the, the film was fine in itself, but I don't think... Ed Norton brought anything particularly charismatic or no. anything other than just a really dour guy. True. Um, and what I will say is that I love that they, they start up front with that one rather than go straight. Mm-hmm. Like, it shows remarkable restraint, I think, from the filmmakers to be able to go, we know everyone's like itching to see Robert Downey Jr. because he's like the big tentpole mm-hmm. thing and maybe to a lesser extent Cap or Thor even. Yeah. But they just go, no, we need to introduce you to the new guy. And I still think that first scene that we get of Ruffalo where he's talking to um, Black Widow yeah. and she's recruiting him is the best work he's done as the character. I love that scene. That it introduction, is a great scene. Yeah. That scene is so good. The way he's he's nervous and he's sort of untrusting and, you know, there's so many great lines in it you know, when he talks about, look, if you're here to kill me, that's not really going to work out for everybody. Yeah. And all that sort of stuff. And then, a bad time. Yeah. And then when he just, yeah, he tries to, t- like, he snaps at her to see what she'll do. And like, he just nails it. I think he just he, he has a nervous energy about him, but he's also clearly super intelligent. Yeah, it's, what I like is that it, it shows that he is quite capable of passing, as, as coming across in that way. But at all points, he is very much in control of that room. Yeah. He knows that there are going to be people outside. So when she fobs him off and she said, it's just me, I'm here on my own. Yeah. And he calls her out on it immediately. It just shows that he is like, I'm right. Yeah. Um, I shouldn't trust you guys. Yeah. I Which feel then like... seeds into later in the film when they're all, when there's that scene in the bridge area. Yeah. Where they're, sa- where they're talking about not being able to trust one another and his is the first real poignant moment to come out yeah. and to say, this is, why I don't trust you guys, and this is this, and this is this. Yeah, and again, it's just, yeah. I think he he absolutely nails it in this first. He's his first appearance, and it's a really difficult task that he was given to come into this mm-hmm. franchise where everyone else has already had their time to get to know their characters. Yeah, and he has to come into the middle of it and pick it up and go with it. And I think he nails it, and yeah. I'm I'm just hoping that they can get back to that version because I I prefer him in this and in Age of Ultron than I do in the later movies. Really? Yeah, I think so. Because I feel in the later movies, because the, the other appearances that he's had is um, in Thor Ragnarok and then in Infinity War. Yeah. I feel like in both those movies, they kind of play him off as a bit of a comic relief at times. Yeah. Only I... towards the end of Infinity War. I think the beginning, of the, that's the thing. Anyway, let's not talk about Infinity War. No. <laughs> but I feel like the tortured nature of Bruce Banner... And you've got the actor with the capability of Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. You should be able to do more with that. And I hope mm-hmm. that that end game will give them the opportunity to do that. Yeah. I completely agree. In Assemble, he's brilliant. Yeah. Anyway. Mm. Um, yeah. So that's my... Uh, yeah. I love Ruffalo. And I think he... And the Hulk as a character, like... And the whole duality of that character lends itself to really, you know, proper exploration. Um, and then we get, obviously... Um, I think the next one is Cap, and they have a really good um, intro with, for him where he's literally just, they tell you everything you need to know where he's just punching a bag. Through flashbacks as well. Flashbacks. Oh my God, this guy's still alive. <laughs> so yeah, they do a, the flashbacks. It's a bit heavy-handed. <laughs> yeah, but he's using a heavy bag. Um, so they get that, and then, and what I like in this in that whole opening sequence where they're going from character to character is they've got some really um, like subtle, well, not subtle, but just these really like... Um, Nod, nod, wink, wink, like segues. Yeah. Like when like, Fury's talking to the his bosses, and they're like, "Ah, oh, war is won by soldiers." And then it cuts to Captain America. Yeah. And then, and then Captain America goes, "You should have left it in the ocean." Cuts to underwater, and there's Tony. <laughs> yeah. but it's like it's just I, we get it. Segways. It's very good. Like, but yeah. like, they're a bit. No, they're they're a bit on the nose. And yeah, I mean, at this point, Robert Downey Jr. just absolutely owns his role. Yeah, he's very comfortably. Settled in those shoes, those yeah. very tall shoes that he wears. <laughs> um, but yeah, and it's and this was 
this gave actually quite a lot of insight into other areas as well, especially with sort of Black Widow and to a lesser extent Hawkeye. Yeah. So he's brought in and now he's got red in his ledger, so to speak. But when they show Natasha talking to Loki and he sort of calls her out on everything, he's like daughter of Drago and this yeah. blah, 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 and this, this and this. And you're like, oh shit, they're actually laying this out quite quickly. And then they're saying about how her and Hawkeye got buddied up and it all comes in really quickly in this sort of fairly cleverly written exposition dump. Yeah. That's explained as Loki sort of trying to take her down with words before calling her a mewling quim. Which is amazing. Which is like possibly one of the greatest takedowns in the MCU. Like, so I will far. say, I think one of the best combinations of um, of writer and villain, I think, is Joss Whedon writing dialogue for Loki. Yeah. It's just brilliant. It's just, and he tries to replicate it a little bit with Ultron in the sequel, but it doesn't quite work. I think Loki is one of the strongest things about yeah. First Avengers by mile. Um, and Tom Hiddleston just he takes it to another level. He was good in Thor, but when he gets to the Avengers, he's just on a complete another level. He's yeah. having a great time. He takes on all of them one at a time. He's menacing and at times funny. He manages to get it just right. Um, and like you say, that is a standout scene where he him versus Black Widow. Yeah. Um, but he gets one of them with everybody. Yeah. He gets a just talking straight up dialogue scene with every single one of them, um, and nails every single one. Yeah. I mean, we probably shouldn't keep on and on and on, but the the first scene that really, really stood out in that film for me when I first watched it was the first time that we see the Trinity of them yeah. together and they're having a bit of a throwdown. Mm. And as bad as Capsuit is in hindsight, yeah. even at the time, you're like, okay, that's now Captain America's suit. But that first scene where you've got Thor being the tempestuous yeah. child throwing his toy around and Tony being the irritating older brother just being a knob yeah. for the sake of it because he's a wanker. Um, and then Big Big Brother steps in and is like, all right, kids, stop it. I've had enough of this. I've yeah. had enough. That's the perfect sort of framing for it. Yeah. And you think this is brilliant. Bro. This is them coming together. And then they bring in... Black Widow, and then they bring in, Haw- and then Hawkeye comes in later, and then they bring in Banner as well. Yeah. So it's this slow unification of the team, and then Loki just tears them apart. Yeah, because of his machinations. And then you go, oh, this, oh, now what's going to happen? Oh, they were so close to being together, and then they yeah. have to pull themselves together as a team. Following what, obviously, spoilers, what happens to Coulson? Yeah, what happens to Coulson is a tricky one. Because it is impactful and it is like oh go him because we he's a fan favorite and they and they play it up well in this in that movie in particular yeah because they have the whole thing about him having um, Captain America trading cards that he wants to get signed and all the rest of it um, but watching it again like we knew watching it didn't we I think did we already know they were going to do a TV show no okay maybe that came later then um, but in retrospect we you know. Going back to it, you know that he doesn't actually die. He goes on to live yeah. in, and has his own TV show, Agents of Shield, um, which kind of does sort of put a damper on the whole thing. And doesn't it? Doesn't have as much impact, and that's something that Marvel gets criticised for a lot, which is not killing people, basically. Yeah, and I'm I'm okay with like I was okay like at the time when it happened. I was like, oh no, yeah, Phil. <laughs> no, 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 because we only knew his. This yeah. is only the first time we ever learned his name as well. And that's the thing is, and you're like. Oh god, he's gone, and then he has like the last laugh when he blasts Loki through yeah, the wall. So that's what he does. But then I think the worst thing I think for me is that bit where he, like because he's he's talking to um, Nick Fury, and he says he literally spells out his point in the narrative. Like he may as well just turn to the audience and go, "I'm going to be the thing that brings the Avengers together," and then die. Like because that's what he goes. This was never going to work if they didn't have something to. Oh, it's yeah. like. Laying it on a bit thick, like I get yeah. it, and then and then they go, oh, they needed the push, and then and then Fury takes the next step by sort of lying to them all and saying that he had the the trading cards in his pocket and, and they've he got puts, like a blood spatter on blood. him. Yeah, but I almost feel like so watching it again, I was thinking to myself like, would it have ruined it a little bit if they had just had it be that 
Fury is such a master manipulator that Coulson never died and they saved him and it was just him manipulating the team. Yeah, it could have been. That could have been it, but then I feel like they could have revealed that in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Maybe. Yeah, and I think, and then, and I then think would that have... would have done a disservice to it. I mean, the thing, like, S.H.I.E.L.D. is, as, as popular as S.H.I.E.L.D. is, I don't think it's universal enough because it's never come back up in the films. No. They've made minor reference to it. Yeah, well, I think it's good. even Joss Whedon himself, because he was the one who made that decision. He was the one that, like, yeah. he pitched the idea of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. and wanted Clark Grigg to be the lead of it. Yeah. Um, and he himself has sort of re- expressed regret on that because he says as far as the films are concerned Coulson is dead yeah um, and I understand that it's a bit of like it's like cognitive dissonance if you like the thing that brought the team together is a lie yeah essentially even though it wasn't a lie it, it, it's, it's so stupid because yeah, he, yeah. he actually died but then they found so it was a very convoluted way they brought him back um, but then that also raises other questions like why it can't be used in later films when mm-hmm. people die because they do die every now and then <laughs> Yeah, but, but anyway, I, don't, I don't think that... Like I said, I think it would have been fitting for, as Nick Fury, as the master manipulator, for him to have done that, for him to go, oh yeah, they called it, and like he like to have that be like a post-credit scene where he turns up and, he, and like feels like not comfortable about it, yeah. and he says, look, they needed a push. So from as far as the world is concerned, you're dead. Yeah. And I, I, yeah but that, I think... but also, that also would have undermined the whole... Yeah. It's a weird double, yeah. It's a weird double-edged sword, but yeah. Yeah, I think that by doing what he did, he showed that he was manipulative as fuck because oh, yeah. they literally called it out in there when Hill. Oh, Hill says it, didn't she? Yeah, and she's like, they weren't. They were in his locker. Yeah, and which makes you already go, all right. Fury is banking all on these guys to yeah. do this thing, and this is him just edging them along a little. Yeah, bit. Yeah, and. I think the other thing watching it again now as well is that the Fury's whole sort of obsession with getting these um this team together. Like or a lot of it is based around so they talk about the Tesseract and talked about their their work with the Tesseract. Mm. And then it is revealed about halfway through there's this whole plot line that goes on. I don't know how well it works about how they're trying to build weapons using the Tesseract. Mm-hmm. And then his justification for it is that he points at Thor and says last year there was a big grudge match between some alien. We found out that we're not only are we not alone, we're outgunned. I was like, okay, in retrospect, that doesn't really work because now we've seen Captain Marvel and you've been to space and seen aliens and knew all about it way before Thor turned yeah. up. So that, so, and you've had a Tesseract all that time as well. Mm-hmm. So are you building it from then? Yeah. Must have been. Because but, uh, that's just another one of those things where you can't, 23 movies worth of continuity. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if I, I would argue that because of the way that Captain Marvel was done, is that it was a light, a very, very light version of a secret invasion. So they're like, there are scrolls here, hmm. they're here to do this and to get this and to go away. So at this point, he's like, okay, I need to make sure that we are prepared for this hence he's the 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 genesis of the avenger initiative yeah but i don't think it would have led to when they i think when they realized like when the um when the destroyer turned up and they're all shooting at it and it's just it's just bouncing off Mm. um that they would have been as he says hopelessly and hilariously outgunned it's a very weird way of putting it yeah (laughs) but and and you think, okay, yeah, they would be doing that, but that's him lying. Yeah, that's him like going, oh, this, that's we haven't been doing. That's Thor. That's because of that. Yeah, it's the same way that any sort of FBI, CIA government would lie about it and just say it's none of your fucking business. Yeah. but if you want to know, it's because of him. Yeah. And they'll go, okay, yeah, that sounds feasible when it's not. Yeah, true. I mean, and the other thing I guess that is, in in retrospect, is worth thinking about is. When like Cap finds the old Hydra weapons, they were all powered by the Tesseract. Yeah. What we've since learned after the fact was that at this point during Shield, there was a lot of Hydra involved. Yeah. Uh, at least half of yeah um, Shield was Hydra. In fact, so does that mean that they've kept all that weaponry from the nineteen forties? And have, you know, this has always been the plan, sort of. Thing. Yeah. Um, and anyway. they're just building on that technology that they didn't have at the mm. time. 
Yeah. But anyway, we're doing exactly what we said we weren't going to do, which is talk about films outside of the three films. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but all in all, I mean, usually we sort of talk about sort of shot composition and the, the way that the films are directed and stuff. I'm going to be completely honest. As much as Joss Whedon has written some amazing things and directed some great things, I don't think that he has a particular particular visual language. No, other than the Dutch tilt that is often used far too much in yeah. Avengers Assemble. So there isn't anything particularly stand out. There isn't the the writing isn't sort of. We don't have like a Jordan Peele level of like nuance and subtlety and meaning. No, I think yeah, the and writing we don't get like yeah. a Branagh style sort of shakespearean background to things and yeah sort of sort of real thesp style i think a lot of things are more stylistically done but what i think we did do really well which was take a group of fairly disparate characters pull them all together for a really cohesive unit to pull off this big film yeah the villains are fairly unassuming other than loki yeah um the score is whilst it is you know, I know a lot of people give the Marvel films a lot of grief and they're like, oh, it's not recognisable, it's not anthemic, it's not that filmic. It begins in this and you and you do pick it up. Yeah, it's not going to be John Williams' it's John Williams' Star Wars and it's not going to be the Indiana Jones theme. It's not going to be the Superman theme. It's not going to be the Jaws theme. It's not going to be the James yeah. Bond theme. I mean, but these themes aren't, are on a whole different level to other things. I feel like the Avengers theme is almost getting up there now. It, it's, yeah. be, it's become iconic yeah um, and it started in that first movie and they've kept it all the way through that's what yeah. I think that's the thing where that's something that people criticise Marvel for is that they change from film to film like particularly mm-hmm. if you watch like the Iron Man movies for instance he doesn't have a consistent musical theme yeah um, or, I mean you know, he like, did with Fav yeah a little bit but even then like sometimes he'll punctuate it with a bit of ACDC or whatever yeah oh that's what I mean sorry it, it was it was initially it was this very sort of like like heavy rock sort of style. So there was Black Sabbath and there was yeah. ACDC and those were the ones that were being used. But there wasn't ever, like, the like score, score no. to yeah. the Iron Man was like a lot of hammers on metal and yeah. there wasn't anything too definitive outside of that. Yeah, whereas with the Avengers, I think they have, they've kept it fairly consistent, even though they've changed mm-hmm. composers at times. So it started with Alan Silvestri in the first one and then I think he went to Danny Elfman in two. I'm not sure. Um, and then it went back to Alan Silvestri. So they've, even though they've done that, I think they've managed to keep the, um, yeah, keep the motifs and keep that theme, which now they use in all the trailers and gets everyone pumped and excited. Yeah. Um, which is good because particularly like Danny Elfman, like if you look at like what he did on um, Justice League, yeah, where he like butchered some of the old themes from the old Batman and Superman movies. It's like, no, don't do that. Um, but anyway, I think that's probably a good point to move on to Age of Ultron. Yeah. Um, because with Age of Ultron, it starts out, and I think the, the strength of Age of Ultron um, is that it, the team dynamic. Yeah. Because they're all together from mm-hmm. the get-go. For like the, Immediately, the whole thing starts, and they've got this B action sequence in the woods, and it is the original team that we saw who all got together at the end of the last movie, and they're all together now. They're used to working with one another. They've got a rhythm to it. They take the piss out of each other. Um they're like in fights. They know what to do. Like there's that. There's a great moment where um, Thor and Cap get together. Yeah. And he he um, slams the hammer on the shield, and they use like create a big like shockwave. Shockwave that knock a load of people out. Um, and that that it feels yeah. really like they've been working together for a long time. Yeah. And there's the point when Hawkeye's shot, and Black Widow says, "Can somebody take out that bunker for me?" And a second later, Hulk does it, and she just says, "Thank you." But like, if he had, as if it, it was nothing. Let's think. If he hadn't done it, Thor could have done it, or Iron yeah. Man, anyone could have done it. It's like, can someone just sort that out? Cheers. Which is great. And then they then take that. So they do it. They set it up immediately with their combat back and forth, and then they get even further with that in the next sort of section, which must be a good fifteen minutes of the movie, where they're back at Avengers Tower. Yeah. Um, and they're all sort. They come together, and then several conversations happening, and then they have a big party scene, um, which is great fun to just see them all hanging out together. Yeah. Um, and there's a bit of like, it's just yeah, like with the scene where they're all trying to lift Thor's hammer. Yeah. It's just pure. It's fan service, but it's brilliant, and everyone's having. Everyone's great. Um, they're able to get some of their supporting cast in there. So like Anthony Mackie has a little cameo. Yeah. Um, which again, that's one of the ones where again, if you haven't seen anything between the two Avengers movies, you wouldn't quite know who he was. 
or what he mm-hmm. was like. There's one little reference he makes to a missing persons case, and yeah. you like wouldn't know what that meant. Yeah, but it doesn't but matter. That's, but that's the thing, and it's one of those things. That if if it if you didn't know, you wouldn't be too worried. No, it's not integral to the plot because the plot of Age of Ultron, a lot of it is around Loki's scepter. Yeah. So again, if you'd seen the previous Avengers movie, you'd, you'd that the movie opens on a shot of that scepter, mm-hmm. and the whole point of their of what they're doing is to get in and find that. So if you'd watched the previous one, you know what it is, and you just run with it from there. Yeah. Um, and then the rest of Ultron is, yeah, so the, the plot basically is around Tony creates this Ultron AI um, using the stone, the Infinity Stone, as we find out later, that's in that scepter. Yeah. Um, and it becomes Ultron, which is voiced by James Spader and is a big, scary robot man. <laughs> yeah, and it goes it goes the course of a fair... It's a fairly standard plot in so much as a lot of the time there'll be an AI that's created or a computer that decides that it knows better and will wipe out humanity to save humanity. Yeah. It's been done before. And it's been done so many times and it's been done better and it's been done worse. But in this, I think... I think one of the problems that this got was it was it was very similar to Iron Man 2 is it spent a lot of time setting up the universe. Mm as well as trying to push forward a plot for the film. Yeah, so there's lots of little segments in there. So like, there's a bit where they go and um, Andy Serkis is there as a Ulysses Claw yeah. and talks about how he stole a load of um, vibranium from Wakanda. Yeah. That becomes a massive plot point yeah. in Black Panther. Mm-hmm. But it's only given like five minutes here, so that's one little bit. And then there's a whole... That one, I think, is probably the most successful. That one works, and, and because it then pays... It, it then feeds into the plot of Age of Ultron, which yeah. is that he needs the, the vibranium to make a thing. And then, and again, they then take that forward. So when they, they do the Sokovia Accords, they talk about the weapon that was used, that was made using the vibranium from mm-hmm. Wakanda. So again, they as it goes forward, that one works. But there are other ones where, not so much. The biggest one that stands out for me and doesn't really work is Thor and his whole plot. Yeah. Because the thing with this one is they have this whole sequence toward, in the middle of it where most of the Avengers have some sort of dark dream or like like vision vision of some description some of them have flashbacks some of them have flash forwards it's not really consistent no so like black widow flashes back to her origin story and it's all very horrific about mm. the way she was trained and all the rest of it tony right at the very beginning of the movie has a flash of seeing all the avengers dead and a army of um like an alien army attacking earth which is what yeah. then motivates him to you know, create Ultron and all the rest of it. Um, and that feeds into an ongoing plot that goes all the way through up to Infinity War, which is his paranoia and his fear of aliens, basically. Um, and then, But Thor has one where he sees what looks like Ragnarok, and it's like this really dark sort of Norse mythology. Everyone's like, it looks like hell, mm. basically. And um, Idris Elba's there doing a cameo, and his eyes are all like white, and he can't see anything. And there's all these like weird you know troll heads and everything's at a dutch tilt <laughs> but it's like and that's what i was like oh ragnarok is coming you know it's the end of they see you leading us to hell mm-hmm. all this sort of stuff because ragnarok traditionally is the norse mythology end of days yeah so it's so yeah ragnarok symbolizes the end of that yeah. cycle of life yeah like life will be reborn but a new but after this period of darkness yeah. and so that's what they looked like they were going for, and that's what they sort of set up. And I was like, all for that. But then obviously what then happened in retrospect is that Ragnarok, the movie, because we we knew at that point that the next Thor movie was going to be called Thor Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. So we already knew that that's what they were going to be setting up. But what actually happened is they gave us Taika Waititi, and it became a very, very different film. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a very a bright, funny, it was a comedy. It was, the, mm-hmm. it was a flat-out comedy, Ragnarok. And I do love Ragnarok. But part of me, and I've always said this, is that I kind of would have wanted to see the Norse mythology, dark sort of that kind, that epic, that yeah. kind of thing, which is what they were hinting at in Age of Ultron, um, and never really got fully realised. Yeah, and I think so. The way that I've always sort of seen it with Ragnarok is that they were all given like visions rather than flash forwards or flashbacks or anything. So, um. Like, Tony is... Because the reason that he had this whole Ultron program is because he's got the weight of the world on his shoulders. Because of his ego, he thinks he's smarter and more intelligent and better than everybody else. 
So his worst nightmare would be for everyone to be dead and to fail because because of him. Yeah. And they were like, you weren't there. You could have saved us. Yeah. That, and that's, that's the thing. So that's what has caused him to have this dark vision. The one that I don't get, so because, and then you see Black Widows, which is taking, it's her then going back mm. to this place that she hated where she was, she was trained and she was forced to kill people and she was, she was um, deliberately failing so that she wouldn't pass through the academy because she didn't want to be sterilised, as they say in the film. Yeah. The one that I don't get is Caps. Because yeah. it shows, it just shows this after this war after party where he goes and dances with Peggy. But the, I know, I think the that... Ragnarok one, to me, was similar to Tony's one, which yeah. is Thor believes he's the king and believes he's the leader and believes he's this important and has got this big ego. And then when he goes, when you see him in Asgard and Heimdall says oh, you've taken us all to hell, or you've sent us all to hell, you've caused Ragnarok. That's him being like, oh, oh my God, that, I could do that, and that is my sort of burden to bear, and that is his sort of dark future. Yeah. Because he sort of tees it up beforehand, and he's like, someone with a lesser mind might be in trouble. Fortunately, yeah. I am mighty. Yeah, yeah. And I, But yeah, it's the Cap one that I don't get. Yeah, the Cap one, I don't know. I think they the only sort of through line for Cap in Age of Ultron is they have that whole thing about how he needs to be part of war. That's part of his identity now. And he, he, if he's not a warrior and he's not a soldier, he doesn't know what he is. So they have that scene right at the very end where he's talking to Tony. Um, he's saying, the guy who wanted family and stability, that guy went into the ice 70 years ago. Yeah. Someone else came out. He looks around and says, I'm at home because this is yeah. the war. So I feel like his one is that it's something that he can never have. It's like that was his opportunity. Back then, that's when he would have been able to family stability and be be a real person yeah like the way that because a lot of it then is framed around this whole thing with hawkeye in the middle of the movie mm-hmm. um and that's like and they talk around that and then he realizes you know what i can never have that now because that's not who i am anymore yeah and that's part of his journey that he's had from winter soldiers and in civil war as well mm. um is realizing that he is a soldier and that is who he is and that's all he can be so i guess that's what his means yeah um, you got a point actually and then that kind of leads in with a bit of an arc when that scene that you mentioned earlier, when right at the very end, Cap is sort of said, Tony turns to Cap and he says, are you going to be okay? And it is this moment because they have always had this very highly frictioned relationship. Yeah. And then he's like, yeah, I'm home. Yeah. And that's the moment you're like, okay, and now his team are his family and this means this and this means this, which is quite, and I think is quite sort of pretty poignant. Yeah. But yeah, I think, and the villain, so saying about like the difference between Loki and Ultron, like Ultron does have some good lines. Oh yeah. But I think that's the problem is that he's a line spewing robot. Yeah. Uh, part of my thing with Ultron as well is I just remember him being so different from what I expected. It was a little bit like the Mandarin. Yeah. Like from watching the trailers and stuff, it seemed like he was going to be super sinister. And he was like, yeah, there were lines in the trailer, like people will look up and, you know, want to see hope and instead I'll give them fear or all this sort of stuff and it sounded mm. really epic and then within the first five minutes there's like you come to kill the Avengers and he goes no save the world but also yeah and then you go this isn't what I thought it was going to be yeah already he's quipping and I was not expecting that yeah and that's kind of like loosely hand waved and they're saying oh it was based on the the brain patterns of Tony and um, Banner yeah plus it's like- the effect of the Mind Stone. Yeah. So by combining their sort of brain patterns and then putting in the, give, using the Mind Stone to give it a mind. Mm. And then you think, yeah, okay, it would be quippy and it would sort of bumble over its words a little bit like Banner does. But at the same time, you're like, you're supposed to be this really sort of malevolent force. But by trying to inject, by having the witty yeah. villain, you're... You don't. You can't really deliver it in that way when like, you have this big robot face that do, isn't really a human face. That's weird. It's, it's like because his first speech, yeah, is great, and that's what I was expecting throughout. But then as the movie goes on, he gets less and less. Like yeah. he just uses like he uses words that you wouldn't expect, like you know, guys and and stuff like that, where it's just like it doesn't quite fit. 
Yeah, and things don't match. Um, like a lot of things don't match either because, like you say, he is this big ego swelling monster talking about himself and sort of really delivering strong speeches. But then when it comes to like the last scene, he steals a Quinjet, shoots at some people, and then tries to fly off. Yeah, and, <laughs> is yeah. That why? I'll get you next time, exactly. Avengers. Oh, for God's sake! And it's, yeah. yeah, it's like what? And that line is really funny. Yeah. But it doesn't suit no. what should be this big scene chewing villain. No. And there are points when he does chew the scenery and he is really good at doing that and he is a big comic book villain. But at the same time it just it never really meshed no. right for me. No. Um yeah, I mean that's the bit the biggest thing about Age of Ultron. I think I guess the other big thing is Hawkeye and the rehabilitation of Hawkeye. <laughs> Fucking hell. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we don't have to. No, 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 I think we should. Um, because he then doesn't turn up in Infinity War, that's the thing. Yeah. So we, we see Hawkeye got done over, basically, in the first movie, and Jeremy Renner went on record as saying that he was not happy with the way the character was done, uh, because he got mind-controlled by Loki, mm-hmm. and therefore he said, I signed on to play Hawkeye. I didn't sign on to play this so yeah. i'm kind of annoyed and joss whedon then retroactively sorted that out in the sequel yeah they even like lampshade it at one point when scott which is sneaking up on him about to do the thing he goes i've done the whole mind control thing i don't want to do it again yeah cool good line then they have this thing where they go to his farm and it turns out that he's got a wife and kids yeah and i was saying to you earlier i do think they they overplay it a little bit like yeah. in terms oh of, i totally agree because like, like as much as it's great and i know like as a, a result of this movie I do like Hawkeye as character more, mm-hmm. um, but they over, they lean into the whole thing. Like he keeps trying to make people feel like he's going to die, and he obviously doesn't. Um, and they overdo the whole thing about the team needing him. So there was a joke early in the movie where they go, "Oh, pretending to need this guy really brings the team together." And he's talking to his wife, and she goes, "No, those gods out there, they need you. Yeah, they're a mess." I'm like, "They really don't." I'm sorry, love. They really, really don't. Like, <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, there's a, there's either a point when they you go, yeah, no, they don't because they ask so much more than what, he is. I think that's but what he at the says. Same time, no, that's it. That's what he says. Sorry, he, he says. She goes, "Are oh, they a mess?" He goes, "I guess they're my mess." I'm like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" Like, you're the dad. Thanks, and you're, Uncle Dad. <laughs> are you are you for real? You know Thor. Yeah, he's fifteen hundred years old. <laughs> He's seen some shit. Yeah. Like, you know, what, they need you to sort everything out for them because you know how to do the plumbing in your, in your farmhouse. Yeah. Is that what you're saying, you idiot? <laughs> but, but then, and that, because that's the thing, and it's like, is, the, is it that he feels that he has a responsibility for the team because as a father, he's the guy that knows how to raise a family? Or is it that he's quite willing to accept the fact that he's a pet? <laughs> Yeah, he's just he's because a... he's there as the token human to be like, oh, but I'm small and fragile, and I can only do arrows. <laughs> and they're like, oh, watch out for Hawkeye. Oh, actually, fuck yeah, everyone on Earth is just as fragile as this little fucker. They're basically yeah, the bags of meat. Yeah, <laughs> this meat sack who's got a bit of wood with some pointy sticks. And again, they even that lampshade that like he goes, look, we're in a flying city, and I've got a bow and arrow. Nothing makes sense. Yeah, I was like, I don't know if. Point, like hanging a lampshade and how stupid it is sometimes doesn't help no sometimes it just makes you see, it makes you realise how stupid everything yeah. is and that's the thing like, I feel that Hawkeye's redemption as a character comes more in Civil War true than yeah. it does in Age of Ultron because yeah. I think Age of Ultron it felt very patronising yeah it, it was too it, it was too much he, he yeah. overdid it um, but it did allow him to set things up that like you say do are better in Civil War so like things like his relationship with Wanda yeah. is quite a big thing which yeah. then plays into Civil War and wouldn't have been there if they yeah. hadn't done it in Age of Ultron his um, relationship with Wanda his relationship with Black Widow yeah. he, the way that he does call up his wife and talk about it at the end of the day yeah. and um, you know it goes to show how cl- close he is with Fury because Fury helped him set this up when he first joined Yeah, um, so it does a lot of good but at the same time it does it does feel quite patronising in ways that you just sort of think you're come on you know you should do a bit better than this yeah. um but yeah having said that he then isn't in infinity war and will be as we've if any of you have seen any of the trailers for endgame you know that hawkeye is going to play a big part in it yeah um and he will have some very key scenes with um black widow um so that will be interesting to see and i'm mm-hmm. excited to see that that's one of the things i'm looking forward to in the movie 
Um, yeah, again, so, so, sorry, just to ju- take a quick step back, saying about the sort of the way that this is directed, again, nothing really spectacular. No, not really. You're saying about Elfman's score, which is pretty good in places, but nothing mem- memorable. No, not really. The other thing to sort of say about, I guess, what happened here between Infinity War and um, Age of Ultron was that Joss Whedon made it very clear throughout his um, press tour for Age of Ultron yeah. that he was very tired and he felt beaten down and he felt like the studio had stepped in and mm-hmm. sort of directed him around. And I do kind of feel like that is, you can see the difference between from the first movie to the second movie, how there is more, I don't want to say studio interference, but mm. more corporate hands in it. So yeah. You know I mean? by, like, by having the setups for the other movies and... And things like that. There, you can see there is more strings being pulled. Whereas the first one was quite pure, yeah. if you like. Even to a point where I was reading the other day about how the idea of Thanos being behind Loki was Joss Whedon's idea. Yeah, he said, "Well, shouldn't, he should have someone pulling the strings in the background," mm-hmm. and that was his idea. So Marvel didn't even have this whole ten-year plan where the Infinity Stones all planned out already. That was yeah. that was an idea that came from Joss when he came on to do the Avengers. Yeah. Um, but then they've they've in between the first Avengers movie and the second Avengers movie they've got almost like they become more, much more powerful and they're much more controlling over the things they need to set up and the yeah. things they want to have have happen. And that ultimately drove Joss Whedon to leave the franchise, yeah, um, and even leave Twitter because he got a lot of shit about um, Black Widow and um, Banner, which is something else we haven't talked about. <laughs> yeah. Let's. I, th- I think we should briefly address that because it is something that. Yeah. Um. So one of the issues that I sort of took umbrage with was the fact that they wrote a line into this film mm. with Black Widow describing herself as a monster because she was sterile. Mm. Now, see, I don't. There are different ways of reading that. I think the way it's written and the way it comes across—that is the initial thing that you think of—is that because she makes the admission to Bruce, she's having this. They have this whole relationship between her and Bruce in the second movie, which mm-hmm. again, a lot of people aren't weren't happy about. A lot of people wanted her to be with Hawkeye, or wanted her to be with um, Steve, and this whole idea of her having a relationship with. Banner it sort of came out of left field, but I think it works really well. I think it works um, well. because they're both the outsiders, and they both do feel they're the ones who don't call themselves heroes and can't think of them because she's got this dark past, and they talk about it in the first one with the red in my ledger stuff. And so I think when she talks about you're the only monster on the team, I think that's what she's referring to is the stuff that she's done. Yeah, as a result of this whole sterilization, so they make you sterile. It makes everything easier, even killing. Yeah, and then she goes out and kills a load of people. Then she says, "Still think you're the only monster on the team." Yeah. So I think she's she, what she's referring to is her career as a, as an assassin and the things that she did. Yeah. I don't think she's referring to the fact that they made her sterile. Is therefore I'm a monster. But yeah. I can see why people read it that way because it's not written clearly enough. Yeah, and I think that's part of the issue. Is that I think that by laying it on that way, and and putting into that perspective that they start this conversation where they're saying, I can't have this, I can't have this family, and I can't have this, and I can't have this, because I'm a monster, coming from Bruce. Mm. And then she says, oh, yeah, well, blah, blah, blah. That's the problem that I've got, is that it's it's taking the... They're making a statement in that, that these people see themselves as monsters because they can't have the 2.4 children yeah. atomic family Yeah, that's true, yeah. And, it, and, it's, and that's where I sort of take issue with it, because... Whedon was formerly this champion for sort of progressive female characters and the way that he did this and did this and did this made things a lot more stat and this felt like a really big step back. Yeah. Or it felt like a really ham fisted way of just being like, oh, oh fuck it. You know, it doesn't matter. Let's just make him do that because it sounds tragic mm. and then move on. Yeah. Without the effect that it may have on other people outside of that. Yeah. I guess it's tough to like to get something like that and and give it the time and attention it deserves yeah. when you're in this giant bloody. You know, you also have to have a fight with the Hulkbuster and the Hulk. Yeah. You, you also have and, to. But that's the thing. Like, take it out and don't. But then it does. It lends that it does have a mean that the film has a little bit more depth to it and it has more yeah. discussion points. So I can see why for him as a writer, he he'd be protective of it and want to keep it in. Yeah. But because of the fact that it's 
nestled in this giant thing, it means that he hasn't had the time to develop it necessarily. Yeah. And it does that, like, it raises that problematic issue, like you said. It's like, so are you trying to tell me then that that means that if I don't, if you don't subscribe to the nuclear family ideal, then mm-hmm. you're some sort of monster? Yeah. Well, like, that's not what. Okay. No. Like, because again, they've the, the, this whole family stability thing is something that comes up for Cap as well. Yeah. And Cap goes, the "Guy who wanted that is gone. I'm someone else now." It's like, okay, so is, is Cap a monster? Yeah. Because he doesn't want kids. Yeah. What? What's going on, Joss? What are you trying to tell me? Exactly. <laughs> and that—that's the thing. It felt like this really strange message that was in there, that was really haphazardly handled, mm. and it felt like somebody having just a sentence to say and being like, you know, that was really clever. And then just moving on. Yeah. It's have a little bit more thought, have a little bit more care. Yeah. And that's the th- that's not me bashing Whedon at all. Like there are I'd really like Joss Whedon's stuff. There are things that have changed in the past that might be sort of have an effect now, but it's different. Like this stuff that he brought out I think is great. I think a lot of the stuff he does really well is shown in these films. And by re- and there is quite a lot of focus on Black Widow in Age of Ultron as well. Mm. And about how she sort of always have to pick after a few boys, and she can sh- she can hold her own. Yeah, but even that, like people have pointed to that line specifically as being a reductive thing, where like, oh, she's like the mother yeah. of the Avengers. And it's like, mm, yeah, like that's not that's sort of it is reductive. It's yeah. sort of just going, uh, you know. And there are there are there are bad jokes as well when they're saying about oh, I've got the they got the the chest or whatever it's called. Yeah. And they need to get it from the back of the truck that's flying into the back of the Quinjet. Yeah. And he's like, oh, how do you want me to take it? And she's like, oh, you probably don't want to... And you're like... Yeah. Are you making a making an anal sex joke there, Joss? <laughs> well, at one point he says, like, I think Banner says to her, you're being hard on yourself. And she goes, I thought that was your job. I was like, oh, for fuck. Yeah. Really? And then thinking about it, actually, now as well, the whole idea of her being the mother of the team. I remember in... Um, <laughs> In Justice League, which Joss Whedon butchered, I mean, sorry, directed, um, he says that, like, Wonder Woman has a line where she goes, children, I work with children. Yeah. And it's like, why do you keep putting the, like, yeah. if you're a champion for for women, and that's, why do you keep making the one female character on these two-pero teams, sort of motherly, sort of, yeah. rolling her eyes in the background character? Yeah. Stop doing that. But also, one thing I would say is, is one of the final sort of nails in the coffin for me was the Joss Whedon Wonder Woman screenplay. I never it's thought, just I never really. fucking awful. Was it? It's just horribly reductive, horribly sexist. Oh, I never and read it. And it's all like references to how sexy but strong she is, but she's very sexy as well. She is strong, but she's very sexy. <laughs> Did she walk into every room boobs first? Yeah, she walked into the room boobily. <laughs> she walked down the stairs tits first. Okay, <laughs> but but yeah, and that's but that's what I mean is that like a lot of things felt really underserved, and this is this is not to say that he can't make good things and can't make good films because he has. But I think one of and when people sort of jump to his defense and say, "Oh yeah, but you've got to think about the pressure that he was under from Disney," mm. if you look with the most the most successful sort of directors coming out of the Avengers or MCU series have been really, really collaborative. Yeah. So the most successful films have been people like Joe and Anthony Russo, and then you get people like James Gunn, and you get people like Taika Waititi, and they're very, very willing to take this stuff on board and make it fit. Yeah. And have that collaborative approach. And you find that the people that have moved on and walked away have been less concerned about the collaboration. They're like, I want to make this. Yeah. And that's what I'm going to make. And if you tell me otherwise, I'm going to move on. Yeah. And that's fine. That's your prerogative to make a film. But don't step into something that you are quite aware is going to require a lot of collaboration and then take your football home. Yeah. And I think that was part of the issue here because you see stuff in Civil War that is linking into other things. Like Ant-Man pops up. Yeah. And you're like, where the fuck does this guy come from? Yeah. And he's just in the back of a van, yeah. you know. But so it was a wild Paul run of his. Yeah, Vision turns up. So Vision, probably the most ludicrous character in all of the Marvel universe yeah, at the moment. Similarly, I think of the, of all the franchises, I think there's probably it's the Avengers and maybe Captain America are the ones where people watch them on their own. Yeah, um, probably Iron Man. But the thing with Iron Man is like there hasn't been a new Iron Man movie since 2013. Yeah, it hasn't been. Yeah, Iron Man three. 
yeah. and then and then that's it. So that's kind of in film terms, that's a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of yes, yeah, so people will go, um, like they'll watch Winter Soldier and go, oh, I like that. I'll watch Civil War, and then you watch Civil War and it's like, who is the purple guy? Why can he walk through walls? Yeah, what the hell's going on? <laughs> um, yeah, and, yeah. You t- and this is this is and this is me saying about Civil War as well, which is one of the most grounded films. Yeah. Because it's about two people fundamentally disrespect that it's fundamentally disagreeing with government legislature legislature. Yeah. So the government have put out a document and two people on the same team have fallen out over it to a point that it's caused the whole team to be at loggerheads yeah. and has made them criminals and they have to fight one another. But then, like you say, floating purple red beetroot guy <laughs> comes down and yeah. he's like, Oh, he's got he's got a forehead laser. <laughs> Because he has, and this guy, who's got a shiny hat, can make things small and can throw a water truck that's actually got fuel in it, and it can grow to a hundred feet tall. And Spider-Man's in this film now. <laughs> but that's what. But imagine if you got somebody like Joss Whedon that was just like, oh, they were just asking too much of me. They were just asking too much. Of me. Imagine if the Russos had done that and been like, nah, we're not putting well, Spider-Man or Vision or Ant-Man in this. The other thing that I think about, I suppose, is that the Russos. There's two of them. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They're sharing the workload between yeah. two people, which is a difference. Like, I think, I don't know if like Infinity War and Endgame could have been directed by one person. I think he might have exploded his head. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? They have to, because they must share the workload. The amount, the workload for, for being in charge of such a huge production must be mm. immense to a point where I don't feel like you can do it on your own. So no. I, don't, I feel like, yeah, in, in fairness, I feel... He, the directing Infinity War might have killed Joss Whedon. Yeah. <laughs> like, might... But also, I don't think it would have had the same sense of... Um, sort of. I don't think Thanos' dogma would have come across as strongly as it did. And no. I don't think people... like As much as there is humour in there, yeah. it is dealt with in... Here's some humour... But this is a very serious. Situation. I think that's down. That's down more to the writers because the right for the other thing that changed between Age of Ultra and Infinity War is the writers. Yeah. So Joss wrote both the previous yeah. Avengers movies, whereas Infinity War was written by the guys who've been writing the Captain America movies. Yeah. So they're the two the writers who wrote Civil War. Yeah. Who again got that great balance of having something be grounded, but also yeah. have a little bit of levity in it. And that's the thing it's 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 share this work like like you say a collaborative approach. That's it's when it so works. much yeah. more successful. It, it works in all areas of life. It works in business. It works in everything. That by collaborating on something gives you a better picture altogether. Mm. And by having somebody like Zack Snyder writing and doing this and consulting with Chris Terrio to do his story of this and Joss Whedon's going to come in and rewrite it on his own and then direct this bit on his own, it doesn't work. There's no collaboration there. No. And I think that for me is the major problem where it was is that, that if things don't fit mm. then it sort of falls apart at the seams yeah but yeah so outside of the sort of the whole collaboration side of things me going off on a tangent yeah um i do really enjoy age of ultron i don't yeah. think it deserves some of the kicking that it gets no i think the the main thing with age of ultron is that it is a stepping stone movie but i feel like we wouldn't the things that happened later wouldn't have the impact they had if we hadn't had that extra time yeah. with everybody. Yeah, great. Like seeing them all together as a team yeah. then means that when they fall apart in things like Civil War and Infinity War, it mm-hmm. has that much more impact. So if they had literally just gone from the Avengers to, in the next one, they're all fighting one another, yeah. then it doesn't really matter. Doesn't give So it, it's almost like, it's just a, it's almost a filler. Yeah, in a way, but it's a needed filler. Yeah, and it's it also necessary. it then allows them to get to set up more characters as well. So Vision is something we haven't even talked about. Yeah, um, but Vision is born in this movie, and that was something they kept under wraps. Um, which, you, like, I remember you saying that you never saw any of the trailers for no, Age of Ultron, so it I was a big surprise. No trailers for it whatsoever. I saw none of the promotional materials, and when I went into the film, I was completely, I was astonished that he was in there. Yeah. I think I may have seen a trailer, but I didn't see anything to do with Vision in there. Um, but because I, I, I just genuinely thought they're not going to do this. Yeah, it's too weird. It is really weird. It's a really strange way to bring something in, but then you think it's, it actually feels quite uh, relatable to the way that he's brought in in the comics because Ultron creates Vision in the comics. Yeah. Um, but then also this the whole idea they had, which again I think was Joss Whedon's idea about how 
oh, you should do it where they, they do it with Jarvis and use Jarvis's voice. And then yeah. you should get Paul Bettany to play Vision. And yeah. it's like, yeah, that's, that's perfect. Yeah. Of course. Because what was the story there? That basically, um, it's been, like Paul Bettany was basically told something like he was never going to work again or something, wasn't he? I'm talking about that. Like you, people were like, "Oh, you've you've just made yourself a voiceover actor in this blockbuster film that you're not really going to be a leading man anymore." Oh, really? Yeah, and then basically Marvel phoned him up and just offered him to be Vision. There you go. And it's like, wow, okay, you know. So uh, yeah, you know, it's like that's the thing because he's always been because he's been playing Jarvis. Like he's been as much a part of the franchise as Robert Downey Jr. has. He's been there from day one. Um, but he's always had, like say, he's, he's a voiceover artist, essentially. He comes in on, like, a day in a recording studio in London, says a bunch of stuff that he doesn't understand what it is, and, like, half time he never even watched the movie. Well, he said it took him four hours. Yeah. <laughs> like, just, it's just the easiest paycheck he ever had. Yeah. And then someone goes, oh, yeah, no, we've got a bet. But it's it's such a good... Because we're used to his voice and hearing Jarvis, and we've sort of... Because Jarvis has a personality, mm-hmm. and then they're able to then amalgamate it into vision and have him do vision and yeah he's great he's brilliant and that that scene his birth scene is amazing yeah um where he sort of explains who he is and what he's all about and how what he does and doesn't want to do and then there's the obviously the moment at the end the punch away the whole thing where he picks up the hammer yeah which i think you described you've described before as one of your mcu gasp moments (laughs) there there are numerous i'll write a list one day and i'll put them up on socials (laughs) you can tell us all about yours (laughs) But um, but yeah, I think yeah, I think it's a great film, really. Oh, I wouldn't say great. I think it's a good film. I think yeah. it's a necessary addition, as you say. Yeah. Um, it feels like a to put it in like a televisual sense, it feels like a mid-season finale. Yeah, it's like a transitional episode because yeah. then like it feeds directly into Civil War. So at the beginning of Civil War, you have that new Avengers team, which is yeah. Falcon and um, Scarlet Witch and all that, lot, all working together as a team. But if you hadn't seen Age of Ultron, you'd be like, well, why haven't, Where's what, I, man? what's going on? What's, yeah. Who are this lot? Um, so yeah, it, again, it's it's again, I think Age of Ultron is when they get into that real serialised storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Avengers is the first one that is a more of a closed thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean, that's... Yeah, I think that's pretty, pretty much, much it, it for Age of Ultron. Um, but yeah, so in the next... So we are... <laughs> Initially, we had the idea that we were going to do this as one episode, but seeing as we've run on quite far already, we're going to split this into two. Yeah, um, what we've realised as we've been talking um, is that obviously the Avengers, as it currently stands, like there is, there will be as at the end of the week there will be four movies. Yeah, um, two of which were directed by Joss Whedon, which we yeah. talked about just now, and then the next two were directed by the Russo brothers. So, given that that is the split, what we're going to do is we're going to split this podcast in half. Um, so we're going to do finish up now, um, finish talking about Age of Ultron and the Avengers, and then what we're going to do on Thursday is we're going to talk about Infinity War, and we're also going to talk about Avengers Endgame, yeah. which at that point we would have seen. Possibly twice. <laughs> well, hang on, what, you're going again Thursday morning? Maybe. Shit. <laughs> Depends when I get up. Wow, okay. Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, so because I mean, essentially, as anyone who's seen Infinity War knows, it does end on a cliffhanger. Yeah, and so, it's really, really dense as well. Yeah, um, so it, I don't think it will be doing Infinity War justice for us to try and whiz through it now. No. Um, so let's call a pause now. Yeah. Get this out as our um, our preamble for the for the Avengers, <laughs> um, and we will get an Infinity War slash Endgame episode out for you guys towards the end of the week yeah um and we'll do our best when we get to that point not to spoil we won't we don't want to spoil end game no at the same time we both i'm sure there's going to be so much that we're going to want to talk about yeah um so i think we may split it between an initial so finish infinity war and then give our responses to end game and then i think we should do possibly a spoiler special a couple of days after maybe after we've seen it another five times yeah each yeah give people the opportunity to have seen it and then we can drop a full sort of spoiler special to have a bit more of a discussion about everything that's happened within it. And what it means going forward, I think yeah. that's the big thing. Because, um, I mean, yeah, we've talked around the Marvel Universe this week, and we will do it again next week. But the big thing is that we're at a pivot point now, Yeah. Um, where this time next week, what the Marvel Universe is going to look like going forward 
is going to be very different from it's what we know currently. It's going to be grossly changed from and what we've seen. At the moment, seen. we have no idea. No. Other than there's a Spider-Man movie out in July. Yep. Um, other than that, we have no idea what they're going to do. No. Whether it's, you know, like a reboot or who's getting sequels, when they're coming out, who's alive, who's dead. Yeah. We don't know. So, no idea. So we'll get back to you when we do know. Um, yes. And we'll talk about Infinity War and we'll talk about Endgame. Um, and we'll look forward to talking more Avengers. Yeah. So on that note, I think we're probably going to end it. So you can find us, as usual, on the Omcast Pod on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can email us at theomcastpod at gmail.com. And yeah, I think that's about it. So yeah. stick with us. We'll be this episode will be up shortly, and then you'll be able to see us with our Infinity War and Endgame episode later on in the week. Absolutely. Right. So speak to you all soon, readers. Bye. Bye. So recording test. That makes no difference. No, it doesn't. We don't trade lives, Captain. Except for when you when it's into the ice I made that point but you seem to push it off we don't trade lives unless they're yours captain yeah if it was you if you had a fucking if he had an infinity stone in his head he would he would have fucking topped himself immediately like exactly. he would have forced Wanda to do it kicking and screaming he yeah. would have made her do it it, well, he just he just would have done it himself wouldn't he just reached in pulled it pulled it out yeah, but the point fucking is fucking vision selfish cunt why don't you just fucking do like, it yourself, like, lazy bastard? Constantly. It's right there. But Vision's just constantly just kill me, kill me, kill me. Why don't you fucking kill do me. it yourself? <laughs> lazy cunt.